Chapter 8 of the Life and Ventures of the Original John Jacob Astor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cayo. The Life and Ventures of the Original John Jacob Astor by Elizabeth Louisa Gebhardt. America. Benjamin Franklin had been right in his prophecy concerning America. There was rejoicing among the liberal-minded in the old world over the signing of the Treaty of Peace, and younger Europe turned its eyes eagerly toward free America. The westward tides it in. Parton, writing of that period, says, Men of family and fortune, widows seeking chances for their children, young adventurers with small ventures of goods and capital, and hosts of poor men who sold their all or mortgaged their labor to pay their passage, hastened to embark for the land of promise. John Jacob Astor found teeming life on every side in New York. His own feet seemed winged as they trod on the soil of the free country, and the joy of himself as a part of the new world went to his head like wine. His brother Henry lived over his shop, and in his house John Jacob Astor found not only a warm welcome, but experienced counsel. Henry Astor had advanced from the wheelbarrow stage in his business and acquired a horse. He had prospered while the old Tory families and the host of British officers required their tables supplied with fresh meat each day, but with the British evacuation of the town and the return of the impoverished rigs, his trade had declined. Nevertheless, he offered his younger brother a position as clerk in his business, but John Jacob, who had fled from the butcher's trade in Waldorf, was not inclined to resume it in this land of opportunity, so he declined the offer, and they considered other occupations. George Diederich was a German baker who had known young Esther in his own land. Finding him looking for employment, he engaged him to paddle cakes, cookies, and doughnuts. The young man lived for some time in his employer's house in Queen Street, Mau Pearl. The Diederich house, which had been standing during the Revolutionary War, was a fine old mansion, rich in quaint wood carving, and one of the houses noted for its frequent entertainment of General Washington. Peddling cookies and doughnuts was a respected occupation of the day. All the large bakers sent their apprentices out to offer for sale these luxuries of the oven. John Jacob had gained some experience in the culinary line at home, and so could help with the baking, as well as serve as a capable salesman. Tradition says that during his stay with Diederich, the latter's business doubled. The story is told that on one occasion in his later years of prosperity, John Jacob spoke slightingly of the distillery business, which occupation engaged the attention of his sister Catherine and her husband. Catherine resented it with sisterly frankness, dropping easily into her native brogue. Jacob was nodding once herself, she exclaimed indignantly, but a baker boy and sold bread and cake. One did not hide an aspiration in his heart in America, for someone was continually rubbing one's elbow who had the like. There was a fellow feeling for great expectations on every side, and John Jacob Astor often found a fellow sympathizer where he least expected it. Everyone had his adventurous story behind him, and his hopes ahead. 
one of these tales came to young Esther through a fair customer. Abraham Binginger, whose parents were natives of Zurich, Switzerland, had set sail as a child with his father and mother a generation before for Savannah, Georgia. Two days before they landed, both his father and mother died. On the same vessel was the celebrated John Wesley, who saw that the boy was taken to the Whitfield Orphan Asylum, where he was kindly cared for during his childhood. Later, a large number of Moravians who immigrated to Philadelphia from the southern city carried young Binginger with them, and educated him in their faith. He became a missionary to St. Thomas, in the West Indies. Arriving at his destination, he was told that no one would be allowed to preach to the slaves who was not a slave himself. Undaunted, he immediately sent a letter to the governor of St. Thomas, offering to become a slave that he might carry the offer of salvation to the negro race. His letter eventually reached the king of Denmark, who was so moved by its appeal that he gave his permission for the young missionary to preach to any class in St. James. Of this stock came Abraham Binginger, the son of the missionary, who had been apprenticed to a tanner and leather dresser in the Swamp in New York. He served his seven years, but did not like the business sufficiently to remain in it. At twenty-one he decided he would rather earn his living as a day-laborer than continue his present occupation. About this time he married Kate Embury, a niece of the great Methodist preacher. The young woman was beautiful and capable, with a good head for business. A laborer's wages were not ample, and the young wife proposed to assist her husband by setting up a business stand outside her door, upon which she could keep her eye as she went about her household duties. The scene of this new home and business venture combined was in old Augustus Place, now City Hall Place. At first the young matron only sold a few cakes, cookies, and candies, but business prospered, and she added cabbages, potatoes, fruits, tobacco, and snuff. She felt an increasing pride as she called upon her young husband to guess at nightfall what the profits had amounted to during the day. It had been a great day when they added groceries to their stock, and she asked Abraham to bring home seven pounds of sugar at night, to be retailed by the pennyworth on the morrow. Katie Binger's husband was not the only person who brought her provisions for sale. John Jacob Astor appeared each morning with fresh cookies, cakes, and rusks in his basket. Similar ambitions moved the young German lad and the young pride. John Astor was not simply carrying a basket of rusks in his own eyes. He was eagerly walking a path whose every step led to financial success. Katie Binger was not keeping a two-penny grocery stand. She was beginning to build a fortune for her husband. The tang of the early morning air coming in from the bay, the spirit of the times, and the hope in their hearts were all fused together in the glances that shot from their eyes. As the cakes changed their places from John Jacob's basket to Katie's counter, the words they flung at each other in the haste of the morning sails also spoke of future expectations. Nothing was supposed to remain as it was with these young people. Every day was to show progression, and the great thing about these dreams was that they came true. Both of these youthful merchants had pluck, push, and skill, 
and they never allowed any of them to grow rusty for lack of use. John Jacob might tell Katie of the wonderful swimming of Robert Golat, the fat son of the ironmonger, who could lie upon his back with his hands under his head, and float upon the water as securely as if on a feather-bed. Or Katie might tell John Jacob that she had heard his brother's hairy wife called the pink of the barrowy, a compliment spiced with association with the glove pinks which abundant in all the Dutch gardens. But these were mere civilities. Their real object in life was getting on. The streets themselves held a charm for the country-bred boy. They were vendors of many strange commodities on the barrowy. Colored women with flaming bandana kerchiefs, tied in a peak on their heads with India fashion, and wearing clean white aprons, sat at the corners of the street selling hot corn on the ear. On each side of them was a cup, one containing salt and the other butter. A more appetizing breakfast could scarcely be conceived in these ears of hot corn, eaten as one stood. John Astor could hear the musical voices around the corner, or halfway down a block. Hot corn, hot corn, here's your lily-white corn. And they drew his willing feet nearer. One old woman on the corner of Hester and Bond Streets sang her call in rhyme. Hot corn, hot corn, some for a penny and some for two cents. Corn costs money and fire expense. Here's your lily-white corn. Trays of big peas swimming in molasses, held by the stem well eaten, were also a Dutch street dainty, whose succulent sweetness tempted the passer-by. Nor was it food alone which was sold along the wayside. The genuine sandmen, familiar to all the childish world, sold rockery sand for sanding eating-house floors, and those of both kitchen and parlor in the Dutch Frau's home. On the parlor floor the sand was worked with a broom into all sorts of fantastic shapes, and the door was shut upon this artistic glory until some state occasion. Negroes sold straw for filling beds, and peddlers pure spring water from Greenwich Village for two cents a pail. It was like the street fairs at home when John Jacob Astor first began to tread New York thoroughfares, but before long the streets became familiar, and he wended his way amongst the unusual sights and sounds as if he belonged there, but always looking beyond them to his next step on the road to success. End of America